Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 280 preview show. My name is Carl Birmage, and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the quasi-quarteng to my Liz Truss. It's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. I uh, did not prepare a American reference for us to be each other partners of, but... Well, that one's a little bit redundant now because he's already gone. I don't yeah trust me british politics right now very dodgy state i i see some things and i go you know what uh somehow we're worse <laughs> well we could be talking about politics but you're here to listen to us talking about mma and i want to say a big thank you to everybody who has been tuning in once again it's been a while since ufc 279 a lot has happened in the sport which we'll uh, touch on in a little bit more detail building up to this card uh, how have things been with you, though, Joel? It's been fantastic. Uh, work's been a little busy, but it's been fine. And, you know, work-life balance and, you know, getting to work on all this stuff. It's been, it's been great. I've been fantastic. And as mentioned, we are very happy to have you back here again. If you would like to support the channel any way that you can, we've got all the social media at the top of our screen there. We've got an Instagram page. We've got Twitter. Uh, if you care enough about us that you're willing to donate to try and make the show look and sound as good as it possibly can, it's patreon.com forward slash it's not cage fighting. We've got a lot of ambitious plans to hopefully try and make that a more integral part of the INC family. Uh, Joe, if people want to hear about you, where's the best place to go? Well, uh, Twitter as always. I'm on Twitter at uh, LocoJoe7, I think is uh, my full thing, my full at. But I always tease it on the, on, the, on the preview show, and I always go, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this eventually. I finally have a set date of when I'm starting, uh, Wednesday, or I, I can get the date. It's uh, days from now. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Wednesday the 19th, I will finally be on Twitch. I finally got everything set up and set aside and ready to go. And what can we expect on your uh, Twitch feed? A lot of horrible, horrible jokes and uh, probably me playing RPGs, random games, and... Uh, most likely Magic the Gathering, because I, I feel like I can make money at that game again. We could get you watching some classic events. I would do that in a heartbeat, just me reacting and rescoring. Actually, I tease that. I could rescore fights if anyone wants. Well, there you go. If there's something that you want to see, then please put it in the comments section. Also put your comments for what you think about UFC 280, which I always say, Joe, there seems to be like cycles when it comes to the MMA year. I always think like the first half of the year... Not really all that great, a lot of filler stuff, you'll get the Australia card, you'll get the Brazil card. It sort of builds up to International Fight Week where we see a bit of momentum picking up. Then it dies off again, and then those final three months of Abu Dhabi, Madison Square Garden, and then the final December card in Las Vegas always seem to deliver. And it looks like, on paper, we could very well be doing it again. I am very excited. There, there is very much like the roller coaster of the year. Like in the early, you always have like a fight of the year title fight, it feels like in the early part, but then it really starts picking up in terms of name values by, you know, like you said, International Fight Week. And then like this season feels like the big one. The October, November, December always delivers, I feel like, in names. And uh, this card looks great. You know how in pro wrestling, they always talk about like the big four pay-per-views. It's always like Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, that sort of thing. Would yeah. you put the Abu Dhabi card in that when it comes to mixed martial arts it's all like abu dhabi msg fight week and maybe the brazil card in there 
maybe the Brazil card. I, mean, I think if they still did the like, I, even though it's only like a one sided thing, but they when they used to have cards on Super Bowl weekends, and they were always pretty good. Like we we mentioned it earlier uh, before the recording, but like they had uh, the Ronda debut. The it was a huge fight at the time. Diaz Condit. And one of my favorite, I think it's my number two favorite fight of all time, was Aldo Edgar one, was like one of the first super fights, and that was a Fourth of July. But since they don't do that, uh, or the Super Bowl, since they don't do that anymore, I, I Abu Dhabi has to be it. I think Anderson Silva Nick Diaz was a Super Bowl card as well, wasn't it? That, yeah, that was one. Yeah, there's always something. It feels like around that time, um, and uh, yeah, it had to be that. I guess the Brazil card would be the fourth. That's uh, that's sadly Survivor Series. What's your opinion on the Abu Dhabi card on the whole in terms of the fighters who compete there, in terms of the atmosphere? Is it is this one that you look forward to or where do you personally stand? Generally, I typically look forward to it because I feel like ever since the whole Fight Island stuff, now that we're going back to it and they want to make it a more regular location, they, they always put big names on it. Uh, they put, like last year, I remember that card was unbelievable. Um that card was really good. I believe it was Jan Glover was the big one. And it had, I think, Piotr Jan and Corey Sanhagen, if I remember correctly. Love that fight. That was my, that's my fight of the year last year. It was just everything I want. Bantamweight, check. Uh, technical striking, check. Like, I'm in. Um, and that card was fantastic. They always put, and it was free last year. And it was amazing. And yeah. so this year, no exception. And I'm hoping to be having people coming over for this because it's going to be on a normal time for us here in the UK, about a 7 o'clock start. So I've managed to try and coax some people uh, potentially to be coming over. So I'm not going to feel like a loser playing uh, £20 to BT Sport box office. I'll actually have people uh, joining me for it, fingers crossed. Let us get to the prelims, though. You can see those on our screen right now. We will be talking about some of the more noteworthy ones in a bit more detail. First off, I have to say to Bruce Buffer, to John Anik, to anyone who's on the commentary team, give these men a raise because some of the surnames on this card, it's hard to get your tongue around. I, I, I intentionally didn't put notes on them so we didn't have to talk about it, right? Like, that's how it works, right? <laughs> and obviously, as you could expect, given the fact that we're in Abu Dhabi, we've got a lot of Dagestani fighters on this card. What's your opinion on the sort of Dagestani invasion? I feel it's it's almost a divisive subject when it comes to a lot of MMA fans uh, because there's some people who obviously love the technical advances that they have compared to people from Brazil and America. But there are a lot of people maybe saying, well, yeah, one Dagestani who's doing really good, that's a novelty. But if you've got nine or ten in every division, it's going to get a bit formulaic. I, I agree. I think it's getting formulaic. I'm, and I, I say this as a guy who, and not the, not the person, but the fighter. I really enjoyed Habib. I was a Habib fan for once he stepped into the cage. Not so much a fan of his tiramisu contest, but um, <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I, I I'm kind of you know getting burnt out by this. It's like a superhero movie. It was really cool when we got two a year. Now we got like eighty things, and I just don't care. Uh, it's hard to like whenever all these. And they're all great. They all have very good, and I like their styles. I'm entertained by it. Uh, so it's not a stylistic thing. It's not even a nationality thing because it, it, that'd be any, you know, anything. If it was, well, then in fairness, it is a ton of Americans and on the every card. So maybe I, maybe, maybe I'm crazy. But I, I've, it's kind of, you know, 
getting formulaic, I think, is the perfect word. I picked out a couple of fights from the prelims that might be of interest to ourselves. And the biggest one is the ESPN headliner, which is Bilal Muhammad taking on Sean Brady. Um, two dark horse contenders of wealth weight, but for whatever reason, not all that much buzz. And when you think that Sean Brady is ranked number eight, hasn't been beaten in 15 pro fights so far, came off the biggest win of his career against Michael Chiesa, yet nobody's talking about this guy as a viable title contender. It's really weird. I, I have the only thing I can think of is these guys aren't entertainers and there's nothing wrong with that. They're not entertainers first, fighters second. They're fighters first and foremost and that's it, you know. Uh, so they're not entertainers really, but no one talk. I guess that's the only reason why no one talks about them. Uh, like I remember watching Brady tune up Jake Matthews, who I think is really good. And I went, oh, well, this guy's something. Uh, this guy's going to be somewhere soon. And I, I think I think he's – I don't know. I think this is a, a fight worth watching. It might not be the most high-octane, just-bleed-guy fight potentially, but I I think it's important. Like, it's a really important fight. I feel with fighters like this, and I, I get why people do criticize the Sean Brady's and Bilal Muhammad's of the world because it is an entertainment industry, and some of Bilal's fights maybe do lack in that regard. But you have to – you have to sort of acknowledge, you've got to appreciate and respect the fact that here we have a guy who has been able to grind out seven or eight wins in a row in a very competitive weight class. It's not the most exciting fight. It's like, look, I get the criticisms of John Fitch, but John Fitch was yeah. also a guy who had one of the longest winning streaks in welterweight history. Mm -hmm. All these people knew exactly what he was going to do and weren't able to stop it. It just is what it is. Jake Schultz was successful, like, in his fighting career. You know, it, it's it's boring. We're not going to want to watch it, but he was winning. You know, it just is what it is. It's, you know, especially on some of the other fighters, too, because they know it's coming. You have to be the one to stop it. And, uh, and he's racking up wins. That's great for him. How do you think that one's going to play out? Because we've got two guys who are both known mainly for their grappling ability, and there's two ways this can go. You either get Sarukian versus Gamrot, a lot of grappling exchanges, a lot of sweeps, twists and turns, or you get a sloppy kickboxing fight. I think we're going to get a sloppy kickboxing fight with a lot of Holly Holm mixed in with that cage. Uh, and that is not a great prediction. But I, I, think, I think they're going to get... Or it's not a great prediction in terms of entertainment, but I think they're going to be like a lot of clinching. I think they're going to neutralize each other in the grappling but I do think Brady is going to get the win because uh, I think if it does hit the ground, his overall grappling, I thought, I think has looked a little cleaner in general. Um, other names which I picked out on the prelims. Uh, first off, Volkan Uzdemir and Nikita Krylov. That could be a good stand-up fight. That is really flying under the radar. Um, and another name I've spotted on the fight pass portion. And I want your opinions on this guy because, again, another divisive figure. What's your opinion on Mohamed Makayev? He's super solid looking. Uh, I think he looks really good, and he's really quick. Or, you know, quick. Um, seems like a prick, but that's fine. Like, we're, not we're not judging him on his personality here. Uh, and his last fight was really boring. But I think he's a guy to look for. I, I think his, his UFC debut was very impressive. It was on the, uh, on the first UK card this year, and it was amazing. 
Like it was just head kick, double leg, heel hook, or no guillotine choke is how you want. Just done. Wow. So, uh, I hope he tones down his attitude, but I mean, like, uh, I think he looks, he's, I like fast flyweights that try and finish fights. He didn't in his last fight, but I hope he does it again. And I know Jack Slack was very critical of his last fight as well. I think he only threw like one strike in the entire 15 minutes. Like he did not yeah. let him off the hook at all. It, it, it's, it's impressive to be able to like do that to another competitor, another grown man or, or grown woman. Like it's, it's impressive to do that. Like we were saying. And it's great, but, oh, uh, you know, uh, definitely was a slog to sit through. I'm in the same boat as you when it comes to Mikhaev. There, There's no doubt this guy has a lot of talent, and I think he's going to make easy work of Malcolm Gordon. But, again, it's the person makes it quite hard for me to root for him, and I say that as a Brit. I should be supporting this guy, and I find it very hard to do that. Like, I was reading social media before we came onto the air, and he's calling out Brandon Royval. And I'm thinking, you've got to fight Book next week, and you're calling out the number six guy. Like, hold your horses. I understand talking a big match. I understand that's part of this sport in sort of 2022. But if you, if Malcolm Gordon comes in and flatlines, yeah, you're going to look like a fool. You can't. You can never overlook that next guy. Uh, and... Trying to think, it was like it was um, Jimmy Manoa was overlooking Vulcan Ostemir, and that's the fight that made Ostemir a name, got him a title fight off of it. Uh, Manoa was talking like, "Yeah, I'm going to box Anthony Joshua, knock him out after this fight." What about Vulcan? Yeah, anyways, it you, you can't look like that. You can't. You can never do that. You never know. Pena. Yeah, big one. Overlook, no. Overlooked Juliana, and we got one of my all-time favorite MMA moments. I know. Kayla Harrison's off the table forever because of that. Yeah. Like, the Kayla's locked into that PFL yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. They're pay-per-viewing now for her. That's not going to go well. This will probably get more views than the PFL's pay-per-view card. I really like PFL, but it's the truth. Anything else that stands out for you on the prelims? Uh, well, you, we mentioned Nikita Krylov, who's my boy, and a lesser boy in Vulcan Ostemir. But uh, one fight I saw was... Um, Muradov versus uh, Chow Borayo. And I, I, Borayo, he fights on a lot of fight night cards. So I've actually recapped him like th- two or three times this year. And uh, I was like, oh, you know, I, I'm surprised to see him on like good to, good to see him on a, you know, a main card or not a main card, but a, a pay-per-view. Um, I think he's a good solid prospect. Um, he could potentially be like, because he's well-rounded. Like he's got good striking, um, pretty solid grappling, really good grappling. Actually, it seems like. And he could be a problem at middleweight. Just two two problems with him, though. Um, he isn't necessarily entertaining. Uh, and he also has a really bad neck tattoo. And that one irks me. But, you know, he's actually, like, I think he's a, a name worth checking out. Number three, he looks like a roided-up version of Schmore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, whenever he has the glasses on, someone said he looks like uh, Paulo Costa went to college. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I was like, I can never unsee it. Like, yeah, they're both good-looking Brazilian guys, and with the glasses on, because I think he was a teacher. It was like, wow, yeah, I see it. Let us talk about the main card itself, though. So this is the fight that a lot of those new fans who'll be coming to my party will be seeing for the first time. Their introduction to the sport. What's this thing called mixed martial arts? Why is Carl making such a big deal about it? And they're getting Caitlin Chukasian versus Manon Fielro. It's women's flyweight bout. 
you can get uh, Thero at minus 192, Cajun comes in at plus 160. Um, now, what's your opinion on the women's flyweight division? We've been talking about this sort of between ourselves, off, off camera, behind the scenes, all that sort of stuff. Is women's flyweight slowly becoming a good division? Maybe not a great one, but a lot better than it was. It used to be bantam, women's bantamweight levels of bad. I'm not going to say featherweight that isn't a division, but it used to be kind of around that. Now, it's not bad. Like, it's pretty good, you know? And uh, I think I think women's straw, uh, not straw weight, excuse, yeah, straw weight is one of the best divisions in the whole sport, I think, personally. And this is getting getting really good. I think this division's looking great if... Uh, you know, it's not the most, sometimes there's, you know, it's not the most entertaining fights at times, but, you know, with that last title fight, you know, Shevchenko's reign, I, I personally, just, just, it's just me, uh, I thought, I think Shevchenko's reign's a little boring, but that last fight was great. You know, the challenger brought it to her, like, the division's catching up to her, it's, it's, it's getting there really quickly. What it sort of reminds me of is the light heavyweight division around sort of late 2019, early 2020. Yes, you had John Jones on top, but you saw guys like Thiago Santos, Dominic Reyes. You saw this new guard slowly come into the fore, and they were giving John tough fights. This is what women's flyweight feels like to me. You've got the dominant champion up at the top. But, I mean, I was looking at the rankings. You've got five girls at the time of recording who have realistic claims to a title fight. You have Chukasian. Yeah, Chukasian, Firo, the Grasso VV winner. Um, and you also have Tyler Santos if they choose to run a rematch. So that's five girls there who have realistic claims for a title fight, and no one would have thought that uh, two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. It felt like it was like, what's the next new thing we can do? Oh, and Draj broke 82 of Caitlin Chukagian's ribs with one punch like the Hulk. Okay, she's next up. And, you know, then, okay, well, what's next? Uh, Jessica I? Sure. I'm going to throw her in. It just felt like we were just doing like a flavor of the month. Like then Jennifer Maya had like two wins, and it's like okay, here you're in. And now, it, and nothing against those ladies at all. Uh, it it was just it just kind of felt like we were, the division was moving so fast. And now the divisions had time to grow. We've we've given it this time over the years, and we're we're on track. We're doing great, I think. So let's talk about the competitors in this fight. We'll start off with Caitlin Chukasian, eighteen and four record. Coming off a win over Amanda Hebas. And for all of the criticisms that Caitlin Chukasian has had in her career, she does have a reputation of being quite boring, of being quite evasive when it comes to fights. There was that story that came out at the start of the year that the UFC considered cutting her from the promotion because of how dull her fights were seen to be by the fan base. And yet, since then, I'm not going to say she's having barn burners. But there has been a definite upswing in trying to make the fight more entertaining. And I think that culminated with the Hebas fight. That wouldn't fight in the night. And you would never would have thought that a few years ago at Caitlin Chukasian. I was stunned watching it. I was like, wait, I'm entertained. Whoa. It was, it was wild. It was probably my surprise of the year. I think I even um, titled the video because we do like post-fight recaps. I entitled yeah, an exciting Chukasian fight? Question mark, exclamation mark. Yeah, I, I was kind of stunned by it. I, I like It's funny, that's the fight I remember from that card. I don't remember the main event at all. I remember that fight. Because I was like, whoa. I, well, I like Amanda Hebas, and uh, 
I was like, oh, this fight was good. Like, huh. she was like stepping into her punches. She was leaning into it. It wasn't just arm strikes. You know, it was, it was really good. Another overlooked thing when it comes to Chukasian as well, which I think people have sort of quietly ignored this. This is Caitlin Chukasian who was on a four fight winning streak. Obviously, she had that loss against Andrade, and a lot of people thought that's it for her as sort of like a relevant part of this weight class. Four-fight winning streak. It could be five in a row if she beats Fielder. And even though I think the UFC want to try and see Shevchenko facing new contenders, when it gets to that sort of length, you do think to yourself, maybe Chukasian has done enough to warrant another crack. I think if she takes this here, I, you know, I think she's... She's definitely got a really big case. Um, as for her opponent, though, uh, I think the big story for me when it comes to this fight is her opponent, which is Manon Filvo. 9-1 coming into this fight. She was 12-0 as a Muay Thai fighter. Also a former French snowboarding champion when she was a teenager, so she's skilled in two sports. Now, there's very few fighters where I'll watch their first fight and immediately pencil them as someone to look for. And I know a lot of people like to try and do that. I think bandwagon fan jumping is sort of one of the issues that this sport has at times. Everyone wants to be the first to say, I spotted them and picked them out. I did yeah. see Manon Filro make mincemeat out of Victoria Leonardo. And I sort of mentally kept an eye on her and thought, how far could she potentially go? And at the moment, for now, this is the toughest test by a long way. I still stand on that bandwagon. I do think Manon Firo has a really high upside. I, I have to agree. I I think we, we said it on when we previewed Santos Chef. We, we think it's her. You know, uh, I think I, I got to pick her uh, here. Um, this division is getting tough and she's one of the reasons why we go, oh, this division is getting really good because she's looked incredible. She's been just the long, lanky kicks of her, her striking looks great. I, you know, and I, the judo throws. Oh yeah, she's throwing. It's that's a that's a Carl Bain, uh, Bainbridge favorite there. I know? do love a good judo throw. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, I, I she's she's looking. There's a whenever you said uh, she was the favorite, I went good. Yeah, that's good. What would you say the biggest strengths of Fielder has? What are the big sort of traits where you you identify her and say, this is something she does really well? I feel like I don't see... I, I mean, obviously in the champion, we see a lot of kicks. But uh, I, I'm a big fan of kicking games. And uh, she has that in in droves. You know, uh, you know her, her, it was her UFC debut. She won by head kick, didn't she? Uh, yes, she did, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, hey, you don't see that too often, at, uh, especially at flyweight. And yeah, like she has good power. Like when you said the snowboarding thing, it made sense to me because snowboarding, I would imagine, takes in, insane hip strength to be able to maneuver and kind of go. I'm not a snowboarder, so I could be entirely wrong. But that makes sense when you're trying to translate that, translate that to a kicking game. You know, it's like soccer players or, you know, they all seem to have this just incredible kicking game. Like Jose Aldo, Kenny Florian were fantastic soccer players and you know, well, hey, they're two of the best kickers ever. And so that kind of makes sense, too, that that, that those skills kind of translate. Uh, I, I, I really like her striking. I'm, I'm impressed. The judo throws obviously are fantastic. But, man, when I was like when I was 
rewatching some of her fights, I'm like, this she's she's clean in there. I think the big things to stand out for me, like obviously there's a lot of comparisons with Shevchenko. I think being like obviously yeah. blonde and quite knowing how to use their reach. I was gonna say lanky, but I think Shevchenko's maybe a stockier build than um yeah. Fielo is. Um Fielo's a lot more front-footed than Shevchenko. I think she's more willing to take the pace, whereas Shevchenko likes to sit back and allow her opponent to come to her. Um, I did notice some, obviously, the judo throws and the judo trips, which we've uh, covered in a bit more detail. If there are some weaknesses, though, which I did see with Man on Fielo, and I thought, hmm, those are things that maybe she needs to work on. Jennifer Meyer made that fight a lot more competitive than it maybe should have been, and a part of what Meyer did well was getting into the pocket and brawling with her. And personally, I yeah. think Jennifer Meyer is very underrated as a fighter. Doesn't get the praise she deserves. And the other big one was what we saw against uh, Myra Silva, where Silva was using this very high guard, very aware of uh, Firo trying to go for the face. So she was leaving her body open, and yet Firo kept trying to headhunt. And I think yeah. that's maybe something which she does need to work on, because... If she does start getting more predictable against intelligent fighters like Chukasian and possibly Chev, if she gets to that point, they're going to exploit that weakness. Yeah, I, w- I want to see late kicks. I want to see body kicks. That's the, those are the two ones for me. Uh, if she had a nice like snap kick up the middle, the brawling that Jennifer Maya made it isn't there, you know. And I, I kind of want that a little bit more, um, but. Well, I mean, I, I definitely really want it a little bit more, but, you know, it, it's been working out for her. Uh, hopefully that's something that can change, but I and I, I kind of wonder is if Chukagian in her last fight was the one going forward. And I, I wonder if that's that game plan again, to just do what Jennifer Maya did, but better. That sort of goes against a, what, a lot of what Chukagian does very well. I think the tendency to brawl is probably the best path to victory, but... Mm-hmm. The way I've always known Chukasian to be is staying on the outside, using lateral movement. Yes, there has been an attempt to try and be more front-footed, and that led to the Hebas fight. Yeah. I think Chukasian's best path to victory, though, is to go back to that sort of evasive style. That sort of I've heard Chukasian described as Holly Holm without the athleticism, and I think that's a, a perfect analogy. If she fights like that, staying on the outside and frustrating Thero, she could very easily get herself a decision here. I, I, I thought about that too. The one thing I, I worry about is, uh, it's a lot of round kicks coming from Firo, and I, I wonder if like, okay, is she going to circle into a high kick? Is like, how, I, I, I wonder, I worry about that. And based on the last fight, I, I just kind of have that weird feeling that Chukagian is going to go. You know, you know what? I, I did great in my last fight moving forward, and I saw the Jennifer Maya problems. So I wonder if I can do it this way, which. Like you said, it doesn't. It sounds a little uncharacteristic. It's kind of a wild prediction, I'll admit. But um, I, I have that weird feeling that that's what the game plan is going to be for her. I do think that's the best path to victory. But uh, I, I could see her also just kind of reverting back to that staying on the outside. I just worry about the head kicks, especially if you're circling into them. I you have know, it's a like bi- a car crash. I have a big concern if Kajukian tries going forward. Was just going to land one of those judo throws because I don't. I have questions over Chukasian's takedown defense. Yeah, that's how she got beat by Shevchenko. I was. I just now realized I was getting the the finish of that fight mixed up with the Lauren Murphy fight. That's how Shevchenko beat her is. And that's one thing I remember is 
Kuroba or Chukagian is super tough, very durable. Uh, she he took she took a wheel kick from Chipchinko and went okay. Anyways, like let's 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 keep going, and then was Kion right back at her. It was like oh, okay. I think Chick's I'm tough. I think I'm right in saying the only person to finish Chukagian was Andrade. Oh yeah, with the body, but I, and we, I think we know what Jessica Andrade can do. Yeah, uh, that's little Vanderlei, you know, and how she fights. That's uh, her fight with um, Rosie. Was it Rosie Sexton? At, yes, at one thirty-five. Yeah, that's that's like watching Vanderlei and Pride. Like she's even doing the like comes in with the hands like here, Superman punching in. It was, it was like whoa, like where are the stomps at? Like that's all I need, and you know, Pride never dies. It was awesome, but and she. That was the the Andrade fight was shocking for the Chukagian one, uh, but that's that's a whole different fighter. Uh, I uh, Chukagians, I will admit, like I know fans don't necessarily like her. She's kind of grown on me a little bit. I uh, I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's because I've been watching so long and I've you know kind of grown on me. That being said, I am I'm picking Furrow. I, I think she's she's got this one. I'm gonna pick Manon Fielo as well. Um, I think it's going to be a unanimous decision. I'm going to say 29-28. I can see Chukasian maybe taking the first round and then Firo uh, getting into the fight later on. Um, adjustments. Yeah. I do have a bit of a bold prediction to make, though, if Manon Firo was to win this fight. I've sort of been teasing this online. Um, mm. If Manon Firo was to beat Caitlin Chukasian and the UFC don't try and go in another direction, either with... Uh, the Grasso VV winner of an in the Tyler fight back. I am picking her to beat Shevchenko. Yeah, I am too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I I have it in my notes here. I, I I knew you had a surprise, and I went. I hope it's not the same one. <laughs> well, it was. Uh, it was. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're we're too much alike. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I I I think she wins. I think a decision. I think I could see her taking the first round and making that adjustment, but I, I personally am leaning towards 30-27. Uh, but I think she gets a title shot, or preferably, this is my what I prefer, what I prefer to see, but then again, who knows? I, I, I want to see her get the winner of Santos-Shevchenko too. You're, so you're, so you're, um, you want to see the Santos rematch? I, I, I've watched that a couple times, and I'm very confused at that scorecard. Uh, go to Twitch and I'll rescore it for it live. But there uh, you go. But... <laughs> Everyone loves self-promotion. Oh yeah, I'm the king of it. I have to be, you know. Fight number two, and we are going to the lightweight division now, and it is a battle of grappling savants. It is Benil Dariush taking on Matouch Gamrot, number six versus number nine in the weight class. Uh, you can get Gamrot at minus one ninety. Benil Dariush comes in at plus one sixty, and Benil Dariush competing for the first time in over a year. Uh, he did plan to fight Islam Markachev, of course, our main eventer, earlier on in the campaign. Do you feel that... I'll rephrase that, actually. Obviously, Benil Dariush came into 2021 as sort of like the informed guy at lightweight. He got that fight against Tony Ferguson, which was in a high-profile position, made easy work of Ferguson. Of course, we didn't know at the time just how shot Tony was, which is awful to see, but it happens to every fighter. And then he decided, he said, you know what, I'm going to take off the rest of the year and then come back in 2022. Do you feel that Benny made a mistake 
by waiting that long because in the time he's been away, Lightweight has got a new influx of top-level talent and they've sort of taken his thunder a bit. That's a really interesting question, actually. I, I, I understand a potential reason behind it. If I remember correctly, him and Gaethje are like, you know, like the closest of friends you could be. And I, Gaethje was definitely walking towards another title shot no matter what, before Dariush even. Like, there was no way, in my mind, that Gaethje didn't get a title shot before him. And I think he wanted to see that how that played out, because if so, he's got to figure something out. Um, but I also think he probably should have killed one of these young lions off, like, while he was waiting. But he also did, like, basically break his leg, though. He, from what I remember, he had, like, a really bad injury that was going to put him out for a long time. Uh, but... It's definitely it's definitely a rough call to make. Uh, I, I hope it doesn't shoot himself in the foot with it, but because I have to admit, I'm one of the I wouldn't put Benil in my boy stable because I think he maybe is a bit too good to be a boy. But I remember a lot of the ridicule he got after the Alex Hernandez fight, and we were having to see him fighting on the prelims of Asian Fight Nights, and I said, look, he. That was a bad night at the office. He'll be the first to admit that. But I still believe that Benil Dariush is a good fighter. So seeing him rack up this seven-fight winning streak and slowly claw his way back into contention, I do think it's been a very good story. Oh, yeah. I I remember it was the first Carlos Diego Fajeda fight. Was well, I was like, oh, I got to watch out for this guy. Like, Ramsey Nijam beat him, but whatever. Who cares? Like, that, that happens. Like, you, you can't win everything. And... Um, him beating Fajeda was really was really awesome, I thought. And then he beat him again in the rematch. And it, that fight's awesome. It's a great um, fight. Yeah. And I remember going like, man, look at this comeback of Benil Dariush. He's fighting Drakkar close on the main car. Oh, and then that happened, you know. And it was, oh, man, he's back. This is awesome. And, uh, yeah, he's definitely too respected to be a boy. But he is, uh, he is a big favorite of mine. I do blame that Drakkar fight, though, because... Obviously, the UFC have the camera on the commentators now. And I think yeah. after seeing how viral their reaction to the Benny Close fight was, they've started hamming it up a lot. So I blame that fight. I blame that fight for putting the attention on the commentators, not the fighters. Yeah. That's my problem with it is like, I, I hey, listen, I, I like my commentators having a great time too. Because if they were monotonous, I'd be blow bored, or I'd be on hit mute earlier. Oh, you'd but, be on Bellator. Uh, oh, oh, I'm just reason I don't recap those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, I I feel like everyone goes, oh, did you see how funny that was? How how crazy they reacted to that knockout? You mean the Benil Dariush knockout? Remember his name? Remember Charlie Olives and remember Benil Dariush? You know, um. Yeah, it's like his run. His, I think it was Scott's Holtzman with the spinning back fist. Like that was awesome too. And he never threw one in his life. He said he goes, "Oh, a friend of mine told me I had a really good one on the video game." So I said, "Oh, I'll try it out. Maybe I do have a good one." And yeah, it's like it worked. Like, what reality is he in right now? And he he has looked fantastic. Uh, I refuse to. I, I'm my Tony fandom refuses to say that he was shot going into the Dariush fight. Uh, but, um, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but I think Darius has looked great. I am 
I'm honestly shocked. I don't know if you saw my face when you read off those odds. I always like to get the live reactions to the odds. I never look at them beforehand. And he's an underdog in this? Oh, man. If I had to point to one thing, in my opinion, if I had to, if I had to sort of say, seek out a reason for the Benil Darius upturn, it may be the start. In the five fights before uh, the Alexander Hernandez loss, Benil Darius was averaging, I think, 1.2 takedowns over 15 minutes. Since that fight, it's gone up to 4.5 over 15. He has become much more grappling heavy. He's been aggressive with it, I think. Because he was always the grappling heavy guy. I always I always remembered him as that. Like, you know, but I, I that that stat is very telling. That's a very aggressive with it. And I love it. I, I love high pressure grapplers, admittingly. I, I said earlier, you know, I don't like the guy too much, but I'm a I'm a Habib fan. That guy's the epitome of it. And Dariush doing it just like anybody else. Doing it just as good too. And the other side factor is as well is that people did have question marks over Benil's chin. By grappling yeah. so much, he's not, that's not a danger to him now. Oh, yeah. And then it makes the striking easier because if they get up, then, all right, now they got to worry about a takedown. But if he ducks in and throws an overhand left, it's, you know, he can hit you hard. You know, he's not this glass cannon that everybody thinks he is. So um, let's talk about his opponent, which is Matoush Gamrot, 21-1 so far in, so far in his um, MMA career. A former two-way champion in KSW. He was both featherweight and the lightweight champion. And I have to give a shout-out to KSW as well. They have a fantastic product. It doesn't really get all that much coverage over in the US, but the production values are fantastic. I think the talent level is very, very good. And we're seeing a guy like Gamrot, who was like, I would probably say he was their MVP for a long yeah, time. And now he's he's come up into the big leagues. Yes, he stuttered very. He stuttered in his UFC debut. It was a split decision, fantastic fight against. I hope I pronounced his name right. Guram Kutatalatsi. I I just put Guram here. <laughs> and si- <laughs> since then, four fight winning streak, beaten some very decent names: Scott Holtzman, Jeremy Stevens, Diego Ferreira. A lot of the same opponents as Benil Dariush, and it culminated in that fight night main event against Armin Sarukian, which. Is up there was one of the fights of the year, in my opinion. That's that 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 was that fight. I don't know where I want to put that fight. Part of me wants to say it's number one, but man, I there's been a lot of great fights this year, but that has to be in that top three for me. Where do you personally stand? Well, just going off on a tangent here, where do you stand on fights like Gamrot versus Sarukian as main events? Because there's two schools of thought. There's there's a school that thinks you should put on the best fights regardless of rankings, marketability, that sort of thing. And then there's the other school of people who thought you want relevant fights or fights involving big names. Like, do you consider Gamrot versus Sarukian a more deserving main event than, say, Ketlin versus Holly, which was like a title eliminator? 10,000%. I, uh, I'm so sorry, Holly. I don't know if I ever want to watch her fight in the main event again. But I and I say that as someone who loves her highlight reel knockout of Bench Cohea. I I watch it weekly. It feels like, um, but I I personally hold the, the the belief of and I've seen people toss this around and I go yeah you know I agree with that. So I can't say it's my own creation, but I I, I would have to see the numbers for how well fight nights do 
regardless of the name in the main event? Like, are they are they doing relatively consistent numbers no matter who's main eventing? You know, like Alexa Grasso is a hardcore name tonight. If that pulls similar numbers to the Holly Home fight, then okay, why don't we just use fight nights to build up people that we want to get eyes on? So when they throw them on a main card or they throw them on, you know, a prelims even, you know, on the, for the main card, that's something we care about, and that that's I feel like that's a good way to build. I mean, UFC is terrible at marketing their divisions, so you know. I feel like that would work, though. Let's go into a bit more of the sort of, like, X's and O's when it comes to this fight. Both guys known for their grappling abilities. Um, similar to what we were sort of discussing with Bilal versus Brady earlier on. This could very well go between either being a, a scramble fest, similar to the Sarukian fight, or it could be a stand-up stand -up war. Who do you think has the upper hand in each of these two departments? Oh, man. Uh, I think I want to lean towards Darius in the striking. But at, at the same time, you know, the Saruki and Gamrot fight, when they were on the feet, Gamrot wasn't out of the waters. He was doing very well with his boxing. His boxing looked very good, even. Uh, but I, I really like that power of Darius. Maybe it's biased because he has the highlight reels, you know. Um, but I'm looking at, like, the, the flashy power over the, the technical gamrot but i like I, I i lean towards darius in the striking it's a little sloppy but it's fun and so that's definitely sounds like bias there but uh in the grappling i think gamrot's gonna surprise him he just seems like because sarukian was matching very well and i thought doing incredibly well against a guy in our main event uh and gamrot i thought did a little better than that guy in the main event on the ground like they were definitely canceling each other out but I thought Gamrot was one reason that he might have got the decision win is because he was the, the successor in the grappling exchanges for the most part. I think the one thing that Gamrot does a lot better than Benny is I think Gamrot's a better scrambler. I think he's able mm -hmm. to adjust himself in such a way that even when Sarukian was exchanging the first sort of like grappling confrontations, Gamrot was able to reverse positions and get himself more beneficial. I think Benny Benny can do that to an extent, but it's much more of a power-based wrestling style than what Gamrot is, who's a bit more explosive. I could see Benny having the strength to hold Gamrot down. I think his wrestling control is a lot better than Gamrot. But I think from Gamrot's case, I think that works well because I think he's more potent submission threat than Benny is. Yeah. He'll go for leg locks. He'll try and go for arms. We saw him beat uh, Jeremy Stevens. I think it was uh, a Kimura, wasn't it? Yeah, he like I think he I think he one armed him. I think he did like the old Phil Davis wonder bar where he like just one armed him, if I remember correctly. And in terms of striking, I agree with you. I think that Benny has the power advantage. But I love the work that Gamrot did attacking the body against Sarukian. So I can see that being a more potent weapon as well. Because the thing is with Benny as well, Benny has a really long torso. That is a massive target for a guy who's throwing yeah. front kips all the time. It, the more I think about it, it feels like, you know, it's it's the, the matchup of the experienced, slower, but way more powerful guy versus the younger, explosive quickness. Because I, I remember Gamrot being incredibly fast in the Sarukian fight. I, I do have a concern over Gamrot's size. I think Benny is going to be the much bigger fighter. 
And sometimes I feel that he was a guy who fought a featherweight and also fights a lightweight as well. Is Gambot maybe a bit undersized for lightweight, do you feel? Yeah, I think he looks a little small in there, but he doesn't fight like it, you know, and that's... It, uh, this will be the time we find out if it, if he is undersized. This is sure. a really tricky one to call, in my opinion. Which way you're leaning? Um, for me, I, I, I said that, oh, Gamerot would be the upset here, but I guess not based on the Vegas odds. So I think Gamrot can do it. But if I have if I have to pick one and I don't want to, I'm leaning towards Darius. I think I think experience at this level and nothing against KSW, I hundred percent agree with how great they are. They're awesome. Shout out to Roberto Soldic. I want him in the UFC so bad. Um but He will be when one goal bankrupt. Oh, oh yeah. Ugh. Yeah. They're, you know, working on. They got to borrow another hundred billion dollars, apparently. Um, and uh, but I, I think the high level experience means more to me in this situation. I, I always t try to value how much experience is, and I think Darius has that. I'm going to lean towards Gamrot. Uh, I do believe in ring rust, and I've got the feeling that as much as I do enjoy Benny's sort of career turnaround and seeing him climb the rankings. I think that time away from the cage, especially coming off an injury, he's not going to be as explosive as he maybe would have been before the run. You've got a guy in Gamrot who's carrying a lot of momentum. Uh, so I'm going to pick Gamrot to win this one. I'm going to say unanimous decision. Yeah, I I, I almost feel like Dariush has to finish him, but I, I think that's like a, a possibility. He, very tough, obviously only one loss and never been finished, but... I don't know. I, I it's it feels hard betting betting against Benny at this point. You report and you don't know it. Yeah. <laughs> betting with Benny. I, I bet you there's a YouTube channel, something along those sort of lines, betting with Benny, or some sort of like MMA YouTube betting expert. If 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 it doesn't, Mr. Dariush, you can take it. You can have the copyright. Yeah. You'll already yeah. be a better expert than Gianni the Greek. Oh man. <laughs> You can make a lot of money betting against that, man. <laughs> I am massively killing my prospects of working for the UFC by slagging off all their employees, so we're going to be changing the subject here and going to <laughs> fight number three. It's Piotr taking on Sean O'Malley in the bantamweight division. Betting odds for this one, Yarn is, I believe, the biggest bookmaker favorite on the card at minus 305. Sean O'Malley can get at plus 255. Now, this matchmaking caught a lot of people by surprise, mainly because of what we've seen from Sean O'Malley earlier on in his career. Because I think it's safe to say Sean was given a lot of easier fights on his rise up the rankings. And even when he got his jump up in quality against Pedro Munoz, there's a lot of fans who thought he failed. Like Munoz won the first round and possibly would have won the fight had it not been stopped for the um, eye poke. And yet here he is jumping into a match against the number one contender, a guy who, even despite the Aljamain Sterling fight, a lot of people still believe is the best fighter in the weight class. And I was very interested to see some of Dana White's comments regarding this match because Dana admitted he wasn't too interested in booking this match. But it was Mick Maynard who pushed and said, no, let's do Sean O'Malley versus Piotr Yarn. 
Why do you think there's this discrepancy? What's what do you think Maynard's motive is? O'Malley must have made him really mad. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Uh, that it. This I, don't, I have no idea why they put this together. I'm leaning towards. I'm agreeing with Dana White now. Oh no, <laughs> I, I, I uh, but yeah, I, I remember when I heard this fight got announced. I, my brother told me, and I thought he was joking, and I just laughed, and I blew it off. Then of course. I see you on all Twitter and everything, and I went, oh, no. Uh, it, yeah, it, this is a weird one. Um, I think a lot of it is Piotr Jan is technically 0-2 in his last two. Uh, we can say what we want. He did lose him, and especially that last fight, I thought he for sure lost. Um, and they go, oh, let's – do we give him Sanhagen again, Who's do, or do we do – Song Yudong again, who isn't as marketable, but is rising very quickly. Do we do a dangerous guy like Cheeto Vera, who's currently knocking out every legend we can find? Or do we do Sean O'Malley, who's a big name? And in their mind, if 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 it goes the way I'd imagine it's going to go, Peter Yant's going to look like a rock star and take a name out. And if and Sean O'Malley was to win, there's your next title fight. It's just... Yeah, if Sean O'Malley wins, then 90% of Twitter is going crazy in one way or the other, you know? Uh, like, I, I, and I'm, I'm going to say I'm gonna say this now. I forgot to say this. Uh, I, I have a bias against Sean O'Malley. I'm very critical of him. Uh, he's another one of these, like, Connor-esque figures for me where you talk here, but I feel like your game's around here, you know? And it, it just irks me the wrong way. Um and uh yeah i but that being said you know if if he does it he pulls this off oh man i'm gonna look stupid and i'm okay with that you know i I want something that sounds exciting for the division but definitely weird matchmaking i i have a hard time justifying this especially because of the last fight with o'malley pedro munoz had one game plan i'm gonna throw a right low kick at him and then when he switches stances i'm gonna throw a left low kick at him and he was beating him he was outclassing him i thought and almost I found a stat about Sean O'Malley, which I found very unnerving. So shout out to uh, the guys on Twitter for this. Um, there have been 132 leg kicks thrown against Sean O'Malley in his UFC career. 101 of them have landed, including the Pedro yeah. Munoz fight. Munoz threw 30 leg kicks and landed 26 of them. In the, if I remember right, the, the clip in it, in that tweet, was Chris Matinho beating up his legs. And it's like, uh, we're, you know, these high movement guys, like the, the almost, I don't want to say karate stance because they're not all, they don't all have karate bases. Uh, clearly O'Malley's more of a, like a Taekwondo background, if I had to guess. Um, but like a lot of these like high movement fighters with their stances, with like look, look Machida back in the day, the reason Shogun was able to beat up, beat him up was because Machida retreats. The last thing to leave striking distance is his leg and that's right there ready for you to clobber and o'malley is very good with this footwork and movement but his legs are right there just asking asking for it and so when i saw i i've always felt that way when i saw that stat i felt pretty justified in going ah i knew those were a problem but um that's a crazy stat line i never would imagine it's that insane 
And is Piot Jan someone who you feel has the game plan to exploit Sean O'Malley? How would you say Jan's leg-kicking game is? When I was watching some Jan fights like a, a couple weeks ago, just for fun, because I, you know, uh, he's he's fun to watch, let's be honest. Uh, he, he throws a decent, like, step-up low kick, but he's throwing it more to almost set in and kind of create that space for him to or close that distance to get in. And, but he has very hard kicks. It wouldn't surprise me if he goes, Oh, I'll just kick low. Like it, it might not, he might not be as used to it, you know? So it might be a little awkward for him, but I'm sure they trained it. He's at potentially the best striking gym on the planet right now. in Tiger Muay Thai, you know, uh, I mean, you got Fazayev there. You got, you know, uh, say what we want about him, but Hamzat striking seems really solid. Uh, the, the champ at 125, uh, Shevchenko trains there. It's, you know, and you know, Sanhagen's trained there, a bunch of guys. So I would imagine at a Thai gym, they know how to kick the legs very well. Uh, <laughs> I, but I, I do think in the striking, it is, it's, we're going to see some leg kicks, but I think Jan's going to go to that boxing. That boxing is just so clean. Arguably uh, the best in the weight class. Maybe the best in MMA right now, you know? Uh, the way his jabs, I, I, he reminds me of young, awesome TJ Dillashaw. Like, like against like the, the Hinnon Burrows of where he in, where he would like, he'll step in because he fights southpaw typically. He'll step in, jab, and then when he throws his left straight and his opponent's like, you know, head movement and trying to retreat, he, he'll just switch stances. And then throw a right hook to the body, then a left hook high with his left hand forward. And it's just, this is so clean. There's no overreaction of movements. There's no overuse of energy. It's just very optimized and efficient in his, in his strike, in his boxing. It's, it's just a treat to watch. And he is very, and the fight I watched is, we, we mentioned it, was Sanhagen Yawn last year. I watched that fight again because I love that fight. Uh, who doesn't? <laughs> Um, but Sanhagen has a lot of similarities to Sean O'Malley in ways. They both love their lead hand. They're both great kickers, but their boxing is what's going to piece you up their hands, but they're really going to do the damage with. They use their kicks to kind of set up their hands and they both love to use their, like their lead hand. They both use their lead hand to get them the advantages to help them switch stances or to kind of create the the options they want in the striking game. And Jan, once Jan figured that out, none of that, Sanhagen lost those last two rounds because Jan hadn't figured out at that point. And that's the big thing that stands out as well for me for Piotr Jan. Yes, his boxing's fantastic, but the big thing, he's a very intelligent fighter and the way he reads his opponents. Like, I've heard a lot of people say that um, Piotr Jan has a tendency to start slowly. And yes, I have. I think a lot of fighters do have their best round against him in the first. We saw that with Jimmy Rivera. Yeah. We saw that with Corey Sandhagen. Uh, even Uriah Faber, who was like 4,000 yeah. years old. He was holding yeah. his own against Faber in that first round. Second round started, and he got pieced apart. Yeah. Well, that first round, he had the energy of California rejuvenating him. And uh, but no, after that, it was you know, no, no more fun for Faber. Uh, but... Yeah, it, he definitely is really slow to start, um, and that worries me. That's hmm. that could that that could hurt my feelings. It, that that's where I go. Oh, that's where I'm setting myself up for a bad night. 
but that being said, I, I think he's the proven guy. He's the consistent guy. I, I think despite what happened in that last fight for him and in the first Aljo fight, you know, we say he's intelligent, but that wasn't very smart. But, you know, we all have off nights. Um, I thought Jan made the Aljo fight very competitive. I, I thought Aljo won, of course, but it was competitive. It was good. Um, and, of course, the Sanhagen fight is something spectacular. There, it is I, a... I think, Sorry, I'll let you go first. It, it, I think he's at the, the high... Like I said before, he has the high-level experience. And he has... I think he's just... We just know he's consistent. I, as much as the Moutinho fight was kind of an odd, like, why are they, like, it was like the Simpsons moment, stop, stop, he's already dead kind of thing. But, it, you know, it was also a guy he should have done that to, and it took a long time to do that. When you said Simpsons moment, I thought it was sort of like when Homer becomes a boxer. I thought Moutinho was just going to stand there, <laughs> take loads of punches until O'Malley got tired. Well, that's what happened is, uh, I don't know if you remember the stoppage of that fight, Herb Dean came in on that stolen parachute fan <laughs> yeah you know <laughs> uh but yeah I, I i think for me i know the o'malley fans out there are going oh, everybody's doubting our boy you know and, and, and i apologize i am too uh I, I i think a yawn is the is the guy here if sean o'malley was to win this fight how do you see it happening i think he knocks him out uh i <laughs> I think he. Everyone has a, a, a limit on the shots they can take, and Aldo hurt Piotr Jan. Aldo is one of my favorite fighters of all time, but he was 843, I think, in fight years, in their fight. And I, if if you know a super old in fight years, Jose Aldo can do it. I'd imagine O'Malley, who's knocking people stiff, knocking guys out we've never heard of, or that are way past their prime unconscious for hours. I mean, it, I, he, he, he clearly has the power. I, I think that's how he's going to do it. I've got a I list see, here. I see it with a right straight. I've got a list here of uh, Sean O'Malley's victories in the UFC. So we have Terrian Ware, Andres Sukmanta, Jose Quinonez, Eddie Wineland, Thomas Almeida, Chris Moutinho, and Howley and Piva. So outside of Piva, who was coming up from flyweight, Every guy is no longer in the UFC. Yeah. Uh, I, I put out a tweet. I think I got made some people. Or no, it wasn't a tweet. Yeah, I, I forgot where I said it. I must have maybe like a group chat or something on Twitter. And I got a little, I got a little bit of trouble because I said, uh, you know, Thomas Almeida was a contender to O'Malley fans going into their fight. And he was coming off three straight losses all by stoppage, if I remember correctly. And it was just so his his matchmaking makes it makes it really hard for me to buy into this but i mean he is talented like i'm, I'm not saying he's a bad i'm never going to say someone's a bad fighter because they would all kill me but uh he he could do it i just i just don't see it you know i'm i'm in the same boat i'm going to pick piotian to win this one i'm going to say it's a unanimous decision but if sean o'malley was to go in there and put his lights out in the first round. I'm not saying I would be surprised. I, I always say you've got to, when you're judging a fight, you've got to see what path could a fighter take to try and win. And I can see Sean O'Malley finishing Piotr Jan. Maybe it's not like an 80-90% chance, but a 30-40% chance. Mm. I, I, 
I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to give the percentage of chance I'm giving O'Malley to do it because I feel like that's disrespectful and I it's low. But this is a sport where anything can happen. Yeah. You know, it, it, I, I have seen things. I, I will go full Blade Runner and stare into this camera. I've seen things you guys wouldn't believe. I, I saw uh, Matt Sarah knock out the greatest fighter of all time. I've seen Juliana Pena wine mom box up the greatest woman's fighter, in my opinion. Like, I, I've seen things. And uh, O'Malley is is very talented. So it's definitely there. Like, he can do it. But I, I think it's a unanimous decision as well. And if Sean O'Malley or Piatian was to win that fight, they could very well be facing the winner of this next matchup. Co-main event time. It is Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw. Bantamweight title on the line. Bookmakers odds for this one have Aljamain Sterling at his minus 170 favourite. You can get TJ Dillashaw at plus 145. Now this is Aljamain Sterling's second title fight. Of course he retained his belt in the rematch against Piotr Jan. Is it safe to say that he's answered some of the critics that he had going into that first match? Because I saw so many people, because of the way that Aljo won that matchup first time around, thinking... God, this guy's a fraudulent champion. He's useless. He's looked his way into the belt. Those people were very, very quiet in the aftermath of the second yard fight. A lot of Twitter accounts got deactivated after that one. Uh, it was, uh, I, you know, he redeemed himself hard. I, I remember sitting there on the couch and, you know, my best friend who was a massive Aljo fan and then, didn't like how he won, but it was like, oh, it happens. And then how he acted was kind of the killer for him. Well, we were sitting there. We, we realized we were in, doing the same thing. We picked Jan to just smoke him. And we were like, that's right. Like, you know, when you, you kind of forget that Aljo legitimately was that guy to be like, oh, Jan's unstoppable. Unless Aljo, but we think Aljo's just as good, you know. And he, he proved, you know, he made me look dumb and I was okay with it. Like, we uh, do opinion polls on the INC channel, and I think most people picked uh, Piotr Jan to win this one. I think it was 87% of people picked Jan to win, and 13 for Aljo. It's like people thought he was Nico Montagna. Like, what? Like, he he beat Corey Sanhagen, choked him out unconscious in less than, like, two minutes. He was just beating up everybody. Like, his one loss on the way to the title, like, whenever he really got going was just a crazy almost when you when you watch it you go oh that looks kind of fluky but it you know was the uh marlon marias knee that he dove in on but it, he was crushing all the way to the top i've got a list here of uh, aljamain's winning streak during this recent run so after he loses to marlon marias we have brett johns mm -hmm. cody stearman jimmy rivera we're starting to get a little bit up there in quality. Pedro Munoz, Corey Sandhagen, which was our first round submission, and then two wins over Piotr Jan. Like, this guy is not a bad fighter. This guy is one of the best bantamweights. Ever. Yeah. Like, I, it, it's safe to say that, I feel like, at this point. Obviously, I'm not going to put him in, like, my goat bantamweight list yet, but I, I think in terms of just ability, yeah, absolutely. He's, he's incredible. And if he pulls this off here, he's going to be getting... You know, like he's going to move up that list. He's the, the, the Jimmy Rivera one is a great win because at the time Jimmy Rivera was constantly just only fighting top five guys and winning and losing, just trading wins with top five guys. The Munoz one in a similar position, 
He's like Munoz feels like a gatekeeper to the top five. Like he's like that number six guy. If you beat him, you're top five. Um, and I think Cody Stammen at the time was really hot. And the Sanhagen, like you know, and then Sanhagen and double yawn. It's just, yeah, this guy's nuts. It's going to be interesting to see who's the fan favorite going into this fight, though, because. Uh, even though Aljamain Sterling did redeem himself in the eyes of a lot of people, there are still some who remember his behavior after the first yarn fight and hold that against him. But he's taking on TJ Dillashaw or TJ Dillasnake or DJ Pillashaw, depending on what uh, Twitter account you read. Uh, 17 and 4 record. Uh, his first fight back after a two year layoff from USADA came against Corey Sandhagen, which was a questionable decision. A lot of people thought Corey Sandhagen won that one. Are the UFC making the right call giving TJ a title fight based off A, his suspension, and B, a questionable win off Corey? No. Should have been should have been Aldo here. Uh for a couple well, for a lot of me for like sentimental reasons of this is his last run, let him have it, you know? Uh but I I don't know. It, it, I, it was kind of hard to pick a top guy at 135 because the top three guys have all fought each other, you know, in the, in the San Hagen, Jan, and Aljo. But I, I, they must have just were like, well, what if he gets the belt he never lost back? Isn't that a story? Mm. Even though, uh, you know, that's kind of what I feel like. But it, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious who the fan favorite's going to be too. Uh, MMA fans notoriously have very short memories. We might forget about the fact that TJ. Some of us might have forget forgotten about the fact that TJ was so juiced up he was throwing Brock Lesnar around or something. He was <laughs> he was on he was he was on that stuff. You know, I, I made a joke that he he could bench press Henry Cejudo's head and uh, on that stuff. And I like he was on that like EPO is no joke. It's crazy that those fights aren't no contests in hindsight. But man. Um, this is a, this is one of the closest fights I've ever seen on paper. Yes, um, and I think part of the reason for that is that I think that a lot of the fighters' strengths also play into their weaknesses. Because I think a lot of people are sort of framing this as a striker versus grappler. Uh, Sterling being the grappler, wanting to try and take it to the ground. TJ wanting to keep it on the feet. TJ is a hell of a good grappler in his own right. We saw against John Lineker how he just completely neutralized Lineker using a wrestling heavy game. And even though I, I even though Aljo's striking isn't 100% perfect, the volume makes it so. We saw that against uh, Pedro Munoz. He was just lighting him up. Just constant flurry of just uh, high kicks and then jabs and punches and just it, it was spam Jumping punching. Knees. Yeah, spinning elbows, spinning back fists. In the first round against Jan in their first fight, he was like he was winning the striking against Piotr Jan, like just by like just pressure, 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 and it that breaks people, you know. And like you said, the spamming of punches. It's this is a really weird matchup, and I love it. I love it as well, and I think obviously the main event is going to be getting a large portion of the coverage, which you can understand why. And I think because of that, people aren't. I mean, this, in my opinion is a good enough fight, maybe not a big enough fight, but certainly a good enough fight to be headlining a pay-per-view. 
for me, any bantamweight fight can headline a pay-per-view. Uh, those guys can do no wrong for me. Uh, I'd make them all boys if I could. But Even Guido Canetti um, versus uh, Chris Moutinho? Yeah, I watched it and I popped off. <laughs> uh, yeah. Ah, I was like, yo, he did it in one round what Oma- or one Mally couldn't do. And No, I'm kidding. I had to said I wouldn't make the joke, and I did. But, um, yeah, you know, this fight is fantastic. Um, it, it, like, it, the, the name isn't there because, once again, the UFC doesn't know how to market people. And this is a division that could just – any marketing. It's like, hey, they put on the best fights every year. Oh. It, and but and this is – I think this could potentially be fight of the night. I, I see this pace just being unbelievable. I see – Man, it, it, it's it's also weird because like you know you go if you look at like power advantage, and, and this isn't a joke at TJ at all. I'm, I'm legitimately saying this. He's got a lot of power. Mm. He he could and he's a cleaner in his striking. Like and he, he's also very good at adjusting because he's gonna have Dwayne Ludwig there. And you know Dwayne Ludwig's you know gonna be like hey just do this instead and it's gonna work, you know. And so I. TJ could just put the lights out in one round because he does hit that hard. Uh, I, I wonder how he's going to do with the length because I feel like bantamweights have gotten bigger since mm. he's been gone. Uh, like, Jan is his size, but Sanhagen looked like he was, like, two weight classes ahead of him. It looked like a flyweight fighting a lightweight in there. And Aljo is just as big, if not bigger. Because Aljo has even said, y'all fight Volkanovski too. And, like, he's a big guy. He might be able to. Um, I, that's what I also wonder. And, but even then TJ could just put the lights out in one round. Who knows? Or Aljo could just throw him German suplex and looks like Dan Severn, Anthony Messias from back in the day. It's, it's, I almost don't want to pick a winner here, but I did anyways. <laughs> I think there's two X factors, two concerns from either side, which maybe could determine this one. The first is even though TJ Dillashaw did look very good against Corey Sandhagen, whether you agree with the fight result or not, he looked like an elite-level bantamweight who was still worthy of being in the top five. He is also now 35 years old in a division which is getting younger, bigger, more explosive, so that maybe could work against him, and Algio, in my opinion, is part of that new guard. And from Algio's perspective, you've got a guy with notorious cardio issues taking on a guy who's biggest trait was his ability to go non-stop for as long as he could mm. definitely and it's it, that's again like every every little thing we bring up it's like how do i pick the how do i pick a guy here it, you know and it's i don't think tj deserves this title shot but i go man this matchup is so good i almost kind of think i see why they did it uh if you had to put your money on it, which way are you going? I'm looking at. I, I made the prediction last night, and I'm looking at it, going, "What do I, I'm going to stick with it? I, I think this is still the call. I think the strength and pressure of Aljo is just going to carry. I think not not one or the other, but both. I think he needs both. I think he needs to pressure him, make him work, and then use his big boy strength to just you know start taking him to the ground. On the ground, I'm curious because I don't think I've ever seen TJ on his back. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to me. I think Sanhagen put him on his back and won the round out that way, but 
that's a, there's a difference in the grappling of Sanhagen, who is a good grappler, versus Aljo. So, um, but I think it's going to be a decision win. 48-47, 49-46. I feel like that's a cop-out, but definitely could happen. But I also think he could get a late stoppage, even. Like, pressure breaks people. You can mm. have the best cardio ever. You know, you can have the best cardio of all time. But, you know, I've seen Randy Couture gas out in fights, you know? So, it happens. If this was a prime TJ Dillashaw, we're talking a guy of sort of like 2016, 2017, I'm picking Dillashaw to win this one. I do have concerns over his age, though. And I think that... Mm. I'm with you. I think that Aljo's pressure could very well, especially in the early rounds, be a bigger factor. I could possibly see a situation similar to what I saw against Piotr Jan. Aljo winning the first three, and even though he slows by the end, TJ doesn't do enough to get the finish. And it could be like a, a 48-47. Uh, I am picking Aljo to win this one. But if TJ was to win this, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I I would like it if Aldro wins. I think that I think having a younger champion in, in that division, it does better for the division. It might make it a little stale because we're trying to figure out who's next in line. But I think in terms of promoting this division, I, I want it to get promoted. I think Aljo is a guy that they could do it to. Um But man, I it's you know, like you said, Prime TJ, that guy looked like the best fighter ever for a minute like just how fast he was how powerful he was and uh but that age has to be something two years gone off the juice hopefully uh and 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 then that last fight the last fight i keep thinking about i go man how how did he win but i guess we're gonna find out i will point out a fascinating stat though when it comes to tj dillashaw TJ Dillashaw has lost every fifth fight of his career. And this is going to be fight number 22. So it's a four-fight winning streak and then a loss. Four-fight winning streak and a loss, etc., etc. That is crazy. Huh. So yeah, fight number five was John Dodson. Uh, Fight number 10 was Sun Tao. Fight number 15, Cruz. Fight number 20, Cejudo. That is wild. I never knew that stat. That is crazy. I would have got this fight delayed then. I would have moved it to his 25th. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting in there on the 25th. Me, Joe Neal. But no, I please no, sir. Uh, I think you could be both of us up. Yeah. I, I think I would just do what Nick Diaz or Nate Diaz should have done and just tapped out in a minute, you know? Uh, I'll make sure like, he misses weight so they shuffle joke. the card around. Exactly, my only chance. <laughs> it's like, then, then my luck, I'd get Tony Ferguson. I'm his comeback win, you know? <laughs> so, main event time and the lightweight title is on the line. Charles Oliveira will take on Islam Markachev, the number one seed versus the number four. Betting odds for this one have Markachev at minus 175. Charles Oliveira, you can come in at plus 150. Now, I mentioned the lightweight title being vacant because Charles Oliveira missed weight at UFC 274 for his match against Justin Gagey. I, I pointed this out on uh, social media a couple of days ago. It's interesting to see how fans have been recording Charles's weight miss. 
I could just picture if this was Aljamain Sterling or Carla Esparza or another champion who maybe wasn't as beloved as what Charles Oliveira is, I think the reaction to his weight miss would have been a lot more venomous. And But with it being Charles, it's a bit like, oh, the scales were wrong and, ah, well, people make mistakes, all that sort of thing. It's It's been interesting to see that. I, there was, like, if I remember right, the weights, this is what kind of convinced me to go, I'm, I'm going to give him the one, I've never given a pass on missing weight. I, st- I love Anthony Pettis. I still call him Porterhouse Pettis for missing weight against Max Holloway. And, um, but I give him a pass because if I remember correctly, when you look at the official weigh-ins, everyone was 0.5 off, like, of where they looked like they were going to be at. And it was like, why did they, and everyone, all, multiple fighters saying, yeah, they didn't recalibrate those scales. That was so weird. And then it messes up on him. And I, I kind of go, huh. And then you also go, well, then why didn't DC lose the belt? He was holding on to that towel for dear, for dear life. He admitted it this year. You know, we got him. Uh, but I, I, it was a weird situation that I kind of just go, ah, right, man, you know, all right. I mean, at the time, I'll admit, I thought, well, it doesn't matter. Gaethje was taking this belt anyway. Then he made me look stupid. Uh, but I think he made a lot of fans look stupid. And that's the big thing about Charles Oliveira as well is I feel that throughout this run, people have been underestimating him. I, I picked Chandler to beat him. I picked Dustin to beat him. Now, I did pick against... Now, I did pick him to beat Gaethje, but I knew a lot of people who thought Gaethje was going to walk to that one. It's been a reoccurring yeah. trend throughout this later stages of his run, just proving people wrong over and over again. I think the only fight I picked him to win was Kevin Lee in this run. Uh, I picked Ferguson. Uh, I, I was going to pick Gaethje no matter what. Then Gaethje came out to uh, my my heritage is like folk hero, my art Elvis, Vicente Fernandez. And I was like, I'm hyped up. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Like I grew up with these songs. Then he, broke my heart but and but i picked poye i thought poye was the real man at that division no like it, it was always him it i don't know if i ever want to make that mistake again why do you think that it is that so many people doubt charles Oliveira? um because i'm just looking here at some of the notable wins he's got we mentioned gagey poirier chandler tony ferguson so that was the first fight after the gagey fight uh for tony mm-hmm. uh kevin lee jim miller clay guida and then Jeremy Stevens when he was fighting at featherweight. I wonder if it's the Nick losses. Lynch twice. I... It's, the, it's his early career. It, it's his, it, it has to be. I remember being in high school, and here comes 21-year-old Charlie Oliveira, who's saying, yeah, I just beat Efrain Escudero. I'm going to be the youngest champion ever. And then, because he, he wasn't a talker. He wasn't, like, talking trash. He was just very confident. And that's great. That's what you want to see. And then Cowboys smoked him. You know, body shot, call it. Uh, and then he missed weight against Lentz and then need Lentz in the head, got that fight overturned. And then it was like, okay, now he's going to go to 145. And then here comes uh, a loss to Ricardo Lamas, who's awesome, by the way. Like that, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Um, but, and then like, he, he was just losing. He was just losing early on in his career. And it kind of made, when he, even when I was like watching him have this resurgence, I was like, ah, oh, here's Scott Holtzman, who's. I know who he is, and I, I think he's a good fighter, but no one else does, and he's not, like, a high-level fighter. Uh, here's Nick Lentz, who's starting to age. You know, in the second one, I was like, ah, okay, that's fair. 
But this third one, I was like, ah, Nick Lentz is getting up there. Okay. Mm. Uh, like, oh, yeah, and he also lost to Paul Felder before. I remember when he was losing to Paul Felder. I remember when he lost to Max Holloway. I remember, I remember those losses. And, I mean, it was like everyone just kind of forgot this streak of and how dominant he looked in it. And by the time we realized we were wrong, it was too late. He had already made us look really stupid by choking out Gaethje and Poirier. What do you think's been the biggest reason why Charles Oliveira has become the fighter that he is? His striking has, like, he, he went from he can, he went from being the guy you go, yeah, you know, he can kind of strike. Yeah, he can throw some hands and he has some decent kicks to, yeah, this might be the best tie fighter in the division, except for, like, Pazayev, you know. Um, he looks, he, he's just clean. Like, that, the left hook on Chandler is probably the probably the best left hook I've seen in any combat sport I've ever ever. Like it, it, it is just perfect. Picture per like I could frame that and just stare at it. It's beautiful. The the right the straight right hand he while ducking that he landed on Gaethje was beautiful. Uh, the knees against Poye and against Gaethje were great. He's he used to have this kind of problem where Edgar who didn't have the most one-punch knockout power, Edgar was rocking him and flinging him around when they fought at 145. Frankie Edgar, if, uh, if I'm not clear. And because uh, I always forget they fought. <laughs> but um, it was like, oh, he, he's a little, like his chin's up in the air when he strikes and his very high guard, you know, but now he's in tight, he's cleaner. You know, we're, we're not just getting free hits on him whenever we want. Like, you know, Paul Felder, he had that durability problem and he's kind of just, instead of, you know, it's like the, the TJ Dillashaw thing. You know, yeah, I conditioned my chin. Like, obviously, that's a joke. But instead of, you know, you can't fix your durability. So he just made himself cleaner. He made himself a better better defensively. Uh, and his counter-striking, his, when he leads the dance in the striking, he's looked great. He's just looked unbelievable in the striking. I think there's two things that stand out for me. Not only is it the striking, which I think you covered perfectly, it is composure. Because I've seen yeah. during this run, Charles Oliveira has faced a lot of adversity. Like Kevin Lee was having his way with him in the first two rounds of that fight, and he still came back to get the submission. Uh, Chandler dropped him, still came back to win. Poirier dropped him, came back to win. Gagey dropped him, came back to win. And people always like to paint this idea of uh, Charles Oliveira, he crumbles under pressure, that sort of thing. That is yeah. becoming a stereotype which is increasingly irrelevant. It's he he was getting 10-8 round by Gagey. If that like that that if he didn't drop him and finish him, which sounds dumb when you say it that way, but if that didn't happen and the round ended like right before the punch landed, hypothetically, that's a 10-8 Gagey round. He dropped him like two or three times, told him to get up, we're, we're going to keep going. Uh, Poirier, I thought had a 10-8 against him. And Chandler, I don't think he did, but I've heard people argue that he had a 10-8 round against him. And then he comes back and wins. It's just, like, the composure is the perfect way to call it. Let's talk about his opponent, though, Islam Markachev. 22-1 record. Getting the title fight off a win over Bobby Green, of all people. That was a short-notice UFC fight night. Green taking the place of Benil Dariush, because that was going to be the main event. And that's been one of the big sort of criticisms that some people have had over Islam Markachev is... As talented as the guy is, and I certainly think he is incredibly talented. Don't get me wrong. I think he is 
he's definitely worthy of this kind of matchup. Some people will point out, you look at the people that he's beaten. So Armin Sarukian is probably, in my opinion, his best win on his portfolio. Outside of that, you've got Gleason Tebow, Bobby Green, Dan Hooker, Thiago Moises, Darby Hamosh, and Drew Dorber. Is this a guy who is genuinely good or a guy who is looking great against not bad opposition, but not elite level opposition? I think he's somewhere in the middle. I think that's a I think that's the best assumption I can say. Because I like Drew Dober. I think Drew Dober's a great fighter, or at least a really good fighter. Um, I still like Dan Hooker. Uh, and I think that's probably like his best in terms of like name and talent level. Well, probably Sarukian now, but at the time it was Dan Hooker, and it was on a week notice. Um, and then and Sarukian gave him a tough fight as well. People forget that's a really close fight. It's really close. I, 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 I don't even remember that fight. I went back and watched it. and I went like, well, that fight's really close. Like I. If someone told me I thought I had a Versarukian, I would have, I wouldn't have argued. I mean, I said Makachev, but man. Um, that being said, I, I I don't know. I, there's just so many questions. When you get a nothing against Bobby Green, who I love, big fan of him. Bobby Green had a weak notice, and he goes in there and he he wins in dominant fashion. He's beat almost everybody except Adriano Martins in dominant fashion. Every guy he's beaten except in, except Sarukian actually is it's been dominant. But you always wonder if, like, are you the big fish in this, in this pond? And we have no way of knowing that. I'm, I've, I've been saying on this card, like, oh, I, I value experience here. And it's really hard to say, you know, give Makachev the edge in this, feels like, for me, because of that. I think another issue I have with Islam Makachev is, and once again, I want to stress, I think this guy is incredibly talented. I think, I feel like myself and a lot of other fans, we don't have a real emotional connection to Markachev. And I think part of the reason for that is a lot of the big media around Islam is being the new Khabib, being Khabib's boy. But I think, I think that works as a positive in terms of he's got himself a shtick, he's got himself a gimmick to sell himself on. But I think that clouds the fighter himself. And I'd probably go out on a limb and say... I think the vast majority of Islam Makachev's fans aren't fans because of him. They're fans because they were fans of Khabib. Mm. That's true. That's why I liked him for a while. Uh, and then I, I've kind of soured. I think a lot of it too is if you're if you're souring on the guy or you're not sold on the guy, it, it's probably and I, and it definitely could be you know what what what's uh, what's up with me on him is. We're just subconsciously getting sick of every guy in at AKA going, he's the greatest lightweight ever. It shouldn't even be a fight. Just give him the belt. And, it, and that's it, that's all we hear. It's hard to get a connection to a guy when the, the best thing people say about him is, there shouldn't even be a fight. Then why do I care to watch him fight if there shouldn't be one? And if... And I think as well, when you've got quite a, a wrestling-heavy style like he is, because I think the majority of fans do enjoy strikers over wrestlers. So when you've got quite a grappling-heavy mm -hmm. style, you've got to have that sort of it to sort of make up for it. I will say, I think his striking's better than Habib's. I think he's like, when he does strike, 
not very often. It actually doesn't look that bad. I think his striking looks pretty solid. I think the big thing that stands out for me in his striking is I think he's a lot more composed than what Khabib is. I think Khabib's only goal was to get the fight to the ground straight away. And when Khabib was caught, he didn't react very well to it. We saw that with Dustin Poirier. We saw that with Justin Gagey. I think Makachev can handle it a little bit better. But at the same time, Khabib had a hell of a good chin. And I don't think Makachev's chin is as good as we saw against Martins. And even when the Darby Hamosh fight, which was primarily striking-based, Hamosh did rock him one or two times with not very strong-looking punches. They just it, it, the durability is what everybody brings up, and it, it it's is it unfair to say like it's, are we bringing up durability issues potentially for a guy with only one finish loss? I think it's a context by context thing, and given the context of Makachev, I think it's a fair question: is is durability here? Like, it, he's definitely got the composure. I will agree there, but he does not have that iron chin of Habib, who I think has you know like a top five chin ever when you think about the guys who hit him and he didn't, he never went down. And I think that's what makes the fight so fascinating because it's the elements of unknowns because we have Charles Oliveira who is improving significantly as a striker. So you're going to think Markachev's going to want to take him down. But if he tries to take Charles Oliveira down, we know all of his credentials, most submission wins in uh, UFC history. I think the big thing is I forget I'm gonna forget his name I bet you're gonna know it because you uh, but Makachev I just not thought of this on the ground Makachev fought uh, a guy on the Abu Dhabi card I think it was on the Poye Habib card uh, that would be Dhabi Hamosh yes yeah it was and in where they were. When they were, I was, I, I know, I know how I didn't remember it. I was thinking Ramos for some reason, even though it's not how you pronounce it in Portuguese. Um, but when they like on the ground, that was a that was a grappler. I thought in terms of style, could could do well against the the the, the Dagestani boys of wrestling. I thought he could do really well against them, based on his jujitsu stylings, and it didn't really work out. I wonder how the grappling matchup goes here. Because in my experience of grappling, the bigger, stronger wrestler is still going to throw me around. And he's still going to wear me out. And it, it doesn't matter how great my guard was. And I'm not saying I was great. I, I, was, I was a purple belt at the end of my run uh, with it. And I had thought I had a good guard. But the bigger, stronger wrestlers made me work to the point where it's like, I don't even want to be on the ground with you. You know? Like, what are we doing here? And I worry about that. That being said, Charlie Olives is, very, is still just – he's so good on the ground. It's also just hard going, well, he's going to get out grappled here. It just doesn't sound realistic to my head. I, I think that's what makes it such a tricky fight because the thing that – another thing that people forget about Charles Oliveira's run is that on the whole, he's been fighting strikers. And we've been seeing a lot of guys because, like, Oliveira will get struck – Ball to his back, he invites him onto his ground, and you'll see people like Gagey and Poirier saying, I'm not having any part of that. Get yourself back up. And that's giving Oliveira time to recover from being rocked. Markachev's not going to do that. Markachev's not going to want to yeah. 
he's going to want to try and dive into that guard and to try and control him and wear him down. And as much as I do like Charles Oliveira, and as much as I do know he's grappling credentials, I wouldn't say he's hes not the sort of guy who's throwing arm bars and triangles off his back. I think a lot of his submission base comes from... A lot of it's from the clinch, actually. We see situations like yeah. the Kevin Lee fight, where Kevin Lee shoots him for a takedown, and that's Oliveira catching him in the guillotine and then pulling him down. That's the way Charles yeah. Oliveira gets submissions. He's not... He's not a guy who's throwing him off his back. And I think Makachev's going to try yeah. and exploit that. And I I have bad feelings for Charles Oliveira. Uh, I am picking Makachev to win this one. I think it's just going to be like a slow grind him out sort of situation for the first three rounds. And then either ground and pound or take his back in the fourth. Um, so... I think this fight's really close. It's and intriguing. I, it's it's definitely intriguing. Yeah. I think it, I think it's an interesting fight. It's yeah, intriguing really is just the perfect word for it. On paper, this is like what happens. It's like it's kind of like the the co-main event where I just go okay. But then when I was really thinking about this, I spent a long time thinking about this fight looking over my notes for the second time. And I I will admit I took two smoke breaks to think on it even more. And I, I think I might have cracked this code here. I'm, I'm going to think the durability, the mental toughness, and experience are the big factors here. Uh, Charlie Olives is the better striker. He's the better. I, I think he might be able to match and at least stifle that grappling of Makachev, similar to what Sarukin was able to do. I think those scrambles are going to be there for him. And I'm actually thinking... Charlie Ola, Charlie Charles Oliveira wins by second round TKO. That's a big call. That is a big call. What's your? I am I am ready to eat this words. I uh... do you think it's going to be like a one? Uh, well, do, I would... Is it going to be like a one shot knockout? As Makachev comes in, or I I think I think he's gonna I think Makachev might blow the gas tank out early, trying to get things going, and realize oh he ain't, he ain't rolling over. This guy ain't rolling over. And then when they're on the feet. He's going to take a knee to the body if they clinch up. I think he's going to take an elbow or two. I think he's going to take punches. I think he's going to take a kick. And he's going to go, okay, I'm, I'm in trouble here. And then by that second round, now that he's kind of, even though he's very composed, he's, you kind of have to think about it. If you just turn your brain off and go, I'm just going to ignore the fact that I was hit, I, then that, you're just asking for trouble. So he's going to think about it, which, again, can lead to trouble. And I think that experience issue is going to be there where, you know, where Olives, Charles Oliveira is like, oh, I got hit like that. I, I know to, what to do to, you know, recover. This is Islam. And, and Charles Oliveira is the best finisher in MMA history, or in UFC history, at least. I think he's going to catch him. I think he's going to hurt him. I think he's going to get the swarm, and I think he's going to put him out. Do you know what this fight is to me? And I've seen comparisons to it online. This is the closest thing we have to Khabib versus Tony. This is our, yeah, it really is. It's Habib, according to AKA, this is Habib 3.0, but it's it, Charles Oliveira feels like Tony Ferguson 2.0 at times. Uh, and uh, this is as close as we're ever going to get, and we're actually getting it. So uh, it's, I, I mean, you know, like, you ever seen the first Spider-Man with Sam Raimi? Uh, like Tobey Maguire, you ever seen that movie? Yes, I have, like, yeah. When he's, he's putting on glass, he's putting on glasses, 
and he realizes eyesight's better without the glasses. And I saw a meme where it's uh, he has the glasses on and he's looking, and it's Habib Tony, and he takes the glasses, <laughs> he raises the glasses up, and it's Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhachev. I saw that meme. Uh, I think I and, saw that uh, one as well. Yeah, and I was like, that's perfect. That's the truth. It's I and I that's the worst April Fool's day of my life. April Fool's joke ever is hearing Tony tripped on that wire. And so I'm finally getting it. This is I'm very excited for this card. If the but, fight happens. Well then if not, I'm getting Volkanovsky, Charlie Charles Oliveira, and I I am <laughs> Um, I will uh given the choice uh, and this is no disrespect given the choice I would choose Oliveira versus Volkanovski I think that's a far more interesting fight to me I want to see Volkanovski fight the world uh, after his recent performances he's he's my pound for pound number one guy right now uh Charles Oliveira is probably my number two currently and man I I I would love to see that that just sounds so awesome uh, I want that fight to happen regardless after this, uh, but because I, I, I have here, it's like I don't I don't know who is going to beat Charles Oliveira personally. Uh, maybe Poirier in a rematch, maybe Gaethje in a rematch, but I, I think in the future, for these guys, for even Makachev too, if Makachev does, if Makachev gets his win, uh, okay. You've actually um, made a really good point there, this... uh, which is I think if Islam Makachev wins. All roads point towards the Poirier versus Chandler winner at Madison Square Garden. Yeah. But if Charles Oliveira wins, he's beaten one, two, three, um, and I think mm-hmm. four as well. Yeah. Yeah. So that would be yeah. So Charles Oliveira. So it would Zaya. be yeah. Markachev uh, would be in, I think number four. Chandler's three. Yeah. Poirier two. Gagey one. So he's beaten all of them. So we're going to be struggling yeah, for a lightweight there? contender. Oh, yeah. It's, we're going to have to wait and see if Bazayev Gaethje happens. And then maybe the winner of that, if it's Bazayev, of course. Uh, I think I, I have Dariush and Gamrod here as potential matchups. But I have oh, – I would love a Saruki and – oh, man. Saruki and Charles Oliveira matchup. Oh. Oh. Uh but I have a crazy I, – I was looking at the rankings last night, and I saw, and I went, I remember his last fight. He looks unstoppable, and I am willing to be this guy. You had – you were the one that said you watched Faro, and you went, I, I'm going to keep an eye on this one. I did this, uh, and I went, I, I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. No one's talking about him. I think he's going to be it. I think a potential title fight – or title contender for one of these guys – is Jalen Turner. Big call. Big call. That dude is 6'5". At least it looks like it. Uh, he fights like he's 6'5". Has one-punch power in a grappling game and a great striker. I think his only loss in the UFC is because he just decided to randomly throw a spinning back elbow against Vicente Luque at welterweight in a fight where he was even on the feet. It just... That, I mean, his Brad Riddell fight was like, oh, he just hit him once, stumbled him, and then just choked him. Uncom- uh, okay, this guy is, might be really something. Because I think Brad Riddell is fantastic. I think the fight that won me with um, Jill and Turner was Uros Medic. I had a really high ceiling for Medic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's another guy no one talks about. Tell you, this, this lightweight new guard is absolutely fantastic. And I think this is going to be 
it's almost this is going to be a celebration of the lightweight new god this main event yeah it it's great i i remember saying like lightweight historically has always been like one of the best divisions of all time you know uh, i loved it in the edgar era i loved it in the pin era uh i loved it in the bindo era even but um it was the pettis era was okay it was just really short he didn't even get like a title defense win uh, the RDA era, while very fun, because I, I thought his fight against Pettis was very good, is also short. And then I did not like the, the Connor era of the division in the Eddie Alvarez era. It just kind of felt like, well, who's getting a title shot? No one, because Connor wants to box kind of thing really hurt the division. And then it kind of felt like it was coming back with Habib and Gaethje, but now it really feels like it's just full force and just there. And it, it this. I love how you worded that, the celebration of lightweight. And yeah, they're back. And on that cheery note, we're going to be wrapping up the UFC 280 preview show, mainly because it's getting very dark over here in the UK. I'm losing the lighting. Uh, before we do say our goodbyes, though, we do have a few little bits of spring cleaning to get to. If you do enjoy watching these preview shows, if you want to give us any kind of feedback, support the channel in any way you can, you can see all of our social media at the top of the screen there. We've got Instagram, we've got Twitter, we've got Patreon as well if you wish to donate. Joe has his own uh, Twitter channel and we'll also have his Twitch stream set up as well. What's your links for that one again, Joe? I can send it to you. It's at, uh, I'm going to double check. Now I'm panicking. Uh, <laughs> oh no. Oh no. I'm not the V1 anymore. It's, <laughs> it's a loco Joe 39 is what my Twitch stream is. You'll be playing many great games. I, I'm going to be the, I'm being the V1 like I've always wanted to be for us. And one final thing before we do set off, uh, we have a retro review which is coming up. Now, the Bantamweight title is going to be on the line, so we had a selection of classic Bantam, of classic events headlined by Bantamweight fights. So, our nominees were WEC 47, where Dominic Cruz started his reign as the king of the Bantamweights, UFC 132, which was his defense up against Uriah Faber, UFC 227, where the biggest Bantamweight feud of all time, TJ Dillashaw vs. Cody Garbrandt was finally settled. And then UFC 238, where Henry Cejudo became Triple C by beating Marlon Moraes. Joe, the votes were in. Which way did the public go for? What can they look forward to on Wednesday? The winner was TJ Dillashaw, Cody Garbrandt 2. And uh, I, I was, uh, a spoiler, I got stuck watching Poljana Viana and uh, <laughs> JJ Aldrich. And I will never forgive any of you for that. No, I'm, I had to watch it twice, and it was... It happened. Um, but I had a lot of fun with that card. Uh, and also, there's a fantastic... I get to talk about a Mighty Mouse fight. That was really cool to talk about, actually. Uh, I, I admit my own personal it's, it's opinion. Great. I wanted to have 238. I think that's a criminally underrated card. I think you have made a good choice, though. To, uh, 227 has a lot of positives. And I should also point out as well, the opinion poll for our next retro review is already up because we only have a three-week turnaround before the Madison Square Garden Show UFC 281. So, appropriately, classic MSG cards were our nominees. And we have... UFC 205, Connor versus Alvarez, three title fights. UFC 217, GSP's return up against Michael Bisping. 
USC 244, the UFC's first and only BMF title fight. And last year's card, UFC 268, featuring Usman versus Covington, and one of the best fights of the year between Michael Chandler and Justin Gagey. That was, that was a crazy two weeks last year. And on that cheery note, it is time for us to end the UFC 280 preview show. A big thank you to everybody who has been tuning in for the past hour and a half or so. My name has been Carl Bainbridge. That's been Joe Neal. And thank you once again for joining us. And we'll hope to see you again in three weeks' time when we cover UFC 281. Bye-bye for now.